Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, so we're going to pray and welcome to everyone. My name is Bron. Welcome online. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we just settle ourselves right now. And Lord, we come into a place to receive your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be so receptive that, Lord, beyond anything I say, that you will speak the word that we need to hear. Lord, for those of us uh, who need you to speak to them this morning, need a specific word from you, Holy Spirit, would you do that work now? And Lord, we just, we ask expectant that you're a God who still speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in the book of Acts, as you all know. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, because we've been working through it for quite some time in the 8.30 service, I was doing Acts chapter 9. And at nine, uh, at Acts 9.43, it says that Simon went and stayed, uh, sorry, Peter went and stayed with Simon the Tanner. And I just said something along the lines of maybe that was Claire and Gary Tanner. Ha, ha, ha. And that was it. And, um, and then the next day, Andrew McKenzie said to me, Bron, do you know about the Tanner? Like, how cool is that? And I was like, oh, it's amazing. No, I don't know about the tanner. And he said, you've got to look into the tanner. So I looked into what the tanner, who the tanner was, Simon the tanner. And this guy, um, the fact that he's in the Bible is incredible. So Acts 9.43, let's read this. It says, so Simon, so Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a man named Simon, a tanner. And then in chapter 10, verse 6, it says, God speaking to Cornelius, telling him about what's about to happen. He said, this man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, this is significant because in Jewish society, there were three occupations that were the lowest of the low. One was dung collecting, still unless that's your job, it's an awesome job, the lowest of the low, two, copper smelting, and three, tanning hides, making hides out of tanned beasts. Why? Because it stank. It was stanky. It was gross. And the smell back then permeated the skin and the clothing of the person who was doing that job. Now, in those days, you could um, get divorced if you were a man for all sorts of reasons in Jewish society. If your wife burnt the bread, that was legal recourse to be able to begin divorce proceedings with her. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at your wife. Um, if you, if you, dinner wasn't at the table at the time that you wanted it to be, you, you had all these reasons that you could begin divorce proceedings and all the power was in the hands of the man at that time. You could start divorce proceedings as a woman for very few things. One of them being if your husband that you married became a tanner because they're like, oh, you did not sign up for that. That is not your fault. That's their choice. And you don't have to stay married to them. That's how outcast that occupation was. It was, you don't, need to, you don't need to be here. You don't need to worry about that. They were so outcast because of the smell and actually burning dung and treating the hides with burnt dung was part of the process that they had to live by the sea so that the fresh air could come in. And also not only that, um, it was used as part of the process. So they lived on the outskirts of town by the sea. Now, um, I used to work at the credit union when I left school um, in Cowra and every second Thursday, the abattoir workers, lots of the abattoir workers would come in and they would get out their paycheck because they would go to the pokies and they'd come straight from work and there was this really strong smell 
of bleach on them. And uh, it, was, it was so, it was like, you know, when some things you can smell so bad that you can taste them in the air? I was like, uh, that's the kind of smell that it was. It so infiltrated all their clothes and their skin, but it was to mask the worst smell of dealing with dead animals. And uh, fortunately, um, we've had lots of technology and, and that doesn't need to happen quite that badly anymore. But if you think that that was the case in, what year was that, 1998, Um, when I left school and went to the credit union, how much worse would it have been in AD 33 when, or 44 or whatever it is when this is taking place, where they didn't have those chemicals to mask the smell of the worst smell. And so that, it was just filthy. It was rotten. Not only that, 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 that smell put them as outcasts, but they were outcasted from even worship, not because they were unclean, um, as Mike Kramer helped me see this week. Not because they were unclean, because they were dealing with clean animals, so that was not a problem, but because the Jewish rabbis had added to the laws and by exclusive practices put them on the outer. And so here we see Peter, a good Jewish boy, going and staying with Simon the Tanner, with the outcast of society. Why? Because the gospel is a gospel of radical inclusion. The gospel is a gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news of radical inclusion. This was always the plan. This was the original plan that God would create humanity to be in relationship with Him. That was the plan, to be known by them and to know them, to love them and be loved by them. That was always the plan. And that was His purpose. We, humanity, turned our back on that plan and said, we'd rather get to know ourselves, thank you very much. We'd rather love ourselves than be loved by you and love you in return. That's more important to us. And so we plunged into a different plan. But God kept His original plan by choosing a man called Abraham and saying, well, through you, Abraham, I'm going to create a nation so that all nations can see how good I am. That's the whole purpose of me blessing you is so that other nations will be blessed. Sure, I get to know you and be known by you and the people and your descendants. But even more than that, I want the whole world to see that in fact, I'm a God who blesses and loves. That was the plan. And then even in the law, when He created this covenant relationship with His people, and said, these are the things that you need to do in order to stay in relationship with me. He also said, make sure that there's provision for foreigners in that covenant relationship. So then we get all the way to Isaiah chapter 56 and verse one. And by now, because we're on a trajectory where God's been meeting people where they're at and bringing them into a better understanding of who He is. And we get all the way to Isaiah chapter 56. And it's where the people of Judah have been exiled and it's where that they have, um, they're, they're carried away, they're in slavery. And, but now they're coming back. God's saying, I'm going to bring you back to your land. And verse 56, verse 1, it says, This is what the Lord says. Promote justice. Do what is right. For I am ready to deliver you. I am ready to vindicate you openly. The people who do this will be blessed. The people who commit themselves to obedience, who observe the Sabbath and do not defile it, who refrain from doing anything that is wrong. Listen to verse 3. No foreigner who becomes a follower of the Lord should say, the Lord will certainly exclude me from His people. He's saying, don't say that anymore. Don't say you're excluded. Now, why did they say that? Because the law states that no Moabite or Ammonite shall enter the temple of the Lord up to the 10th generation. There were things in the law that said, you can't come. But he's saying now on the trajectory and the progressive revelation of who he is that finds its culmination in Jesus Christ, he's saying now, he's saying that in fact, bring them back, bring them to me. This also says the eunuch should not say, look, I am like a dried up tree. Now, 
Does everybody know what a eunuch is? Dang it. Now I have to explain it. Um, a eunuch is someone who has had chopped off. Good. Explanation done. Okay. Um, that is essentially, and especially in those days when slaves were captured and taken into captivity, they had their genitalia removed so that they could not, um, they would serve in the households of important people and they were that humiliated and emasculated, quite literally, that they wouldn't rise up. The purpose was that they wouldn't rise up against their masters and also they couldn't do anything uh, to upset what was going on, if you know what I mean. Now, um, eunuchs or anyone with mutilated genitalia, welcome to Anatomy 306, I think. Anyone with anything going on down there that wasn't perfect in, work, in working order was also not allowed to worship God according to the law. It's, it's in there. And you might say, why would God say that? Remember, he's meeting them where they're at and pulling them into a better understanding of who he is. Back then, anyone who was in any way disfigured, they were often at birth left out to die. God's saying, no, no, bring them in, raise them, care for them. But at this stage, they can't enter the temple. But here he's saying, let everybody who wants to come, come. And he's setting it all up for revealing who he is through the person of Jesus Christ. It says here, In verse four, for this is what the Lord says, for the eunuchs who observe my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me are faithful to my covenant. Now, if you're a teenager in here and you're like, I did not understand what Bron meant when she explained what a eunuch was, just don't Google it, okay? (laughs) Don't Google it. Ask your parents. Um, Verse five, I will set up within my temple and walls a monument that will be better than sons and daughters. I will set up a permanent monument for them that will remain. This is eunuchs who have no earthly lineage. It's impossible for them to have an earthly lineage. God's saying, I'm setting up for them a monument that will remain. As for foreigners who become followers of the Lord and serve Him who love the name of the Lord and want to be His servants, all who observe the Sabbath and do not defile it and who are faithful to my covenant, I'll bring them to my holy mountain. I'll make them happy in the temple where people pray to me. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my temple will be known as a temple where all nations may pray. The sovereign Lord says this, the one who gathers the dispersed of Israel, I will still gather them up. So here he's saying, I'm going to bring them all back. But when you come back, bring everybody. Don't leave anybody behind. Come on, bring everybody with you. you. And, And here's Peter. And he's about to cross the last cultural divide in the book of Acts. He's about to go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the non-Jews. This, the, what happened in the chapter following him staying with the Tanner is the reason that we get to be included today. The reason that we don't get left behind either. He, he brings us all in according to this passage. And what happens is that Peter, he even finds that God is this God of inclusion, the God of radical inclusion. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. And if you want to run down, we did a fair bit of it in the midweek study last week. Also, you can listen to the podcast of the 8.30 last week where Phoebe McKenzie spoke about it. It was brilliant. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, Then Peter started speaking. I now truly understand that God does not show favouritism in dealing with people, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is welcomed before Him. 
How cool is that? And then later on, it goes on to say, while Peter was still speaking these words, he explains the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, so that's the legit Jews, who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, no one can withhold the water for these people to be baptised who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So he gave orders to have them baptised in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay. Today, we're baptising some non-Jews in that water over there. And that's all as a result of what happened back here, of this God of radical inclusion who said, whosoever will can come, not just for the Jews. So here's where we get a bit nervous because radical inclusion sounds like compromise. It sounds like we're going to compromise our true faith, our true belief. And I want to tell you that it did then too. It felt like that then as well. They actually go into a massive council. They have a massive discussion about it, which gets looked at in midweek study five, where they're like, you can't possibly include all these people. And they have to have a big prayer meeting about it and a big, what's that called? Argument about it. And, uh, and they, they have this big back and forth about it because it sounded like compromise to them. Now I'm going to give you three things about radical inclusion. Um, and then if there's time permitting, I'll tell you a story because, because of some questions that you might have. Number one, this God of radical inclusion and the gospel of radical inclusion is on His time, not ours. On His time, not ours. There's a parable in the Bible about wheat and tares where uh, a master um, has a field and, and wheat gets sown into it and then an enemy comes along and sows a bunch of weeds into that wheat field. Murray? If anyone does that, the chapel firmly commits to hunting that person down and, and uh, making them a eunuch. No, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Um, we're not into that, guys. Um, okay. So um, that, an enemy comes along and sows weeds among the wheat. And, and what happens is, is that they get to the, the, the people say, should we go out and find them and destroy them? Or should we pull out the weeds? And, and as Jesus is explaining it, he says, don't do it. Just let them grow up together. And at the end of days, my angels, my messengers, my people will separate that out, not you. So there never comes a time where God asks us to separate out the people who we think are in from the people who we think are out in the gospel of radical inclusion. Okay, now I know that that's creating some questions in you and maybe some tension, so we'll get there, all right? But he says, that's my job at the end of days. And why? Because you can't actually judge for yourself who's wheat and who's weeds, by the way, because you can only see what's on the outside and the loving person that they are on a Sunday morning. You don't get to see them when they go home. You don't see the issues in their heart. I see all that. And so I can sort it all out. The other thing about timing, his time, not ours, is that he says he told another parable about a field as well where workers went out into the field and some people who started the day all together, they got paid, but then people who came at the end of the day got the same amount that the people at the start of the day. And the people who started at the start of the day were like, dude, where's our hourly rate? This is not fair. You've given the same full amount to the people who came at the end. That's not cool. And he says, you got what you asked for. You got what you were promised. What's your problem here? If I choose to give these people who came at the end of the day the same amount, what is it to you? It's his time and not ours, which segues into it's his rhyme and not ours, his rhyme and reason and not ours, his rhyme. In Isaiah chapter 55, let's look at this. 
it says God speaking about Himself. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. It says, Indeed, my plans are not like your plans, and my deeds are not like your deeds, says the Lord. For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds, and my plans superior to your plans. The rain and the snow fall from the sky and do not return, but instead water the earth and make it produce and yield crops and provide seed for the planter and food for those who must eat. In the same way that the promise that I make does not return to me having accomplished nothing. No, it is realised as I desire and is fulfilled as I intend. Indeed, you'll go out with joy, etc., etc. Lots of nice pictures of trees and things. It's a beautiful passage where he says, don't think that you can work this out. Don't think that you can put together a formula and understand how I go about things. It's my rhyme and reason, not yours. When Peter and the other circumcised um, people are there, the Jews are there with Peter and they're hearing the Gentiles speak in tongues, they are astonished. Why? Because it's his rhyme and reason, not ours. They did not, they clearly did not anticipate that happening, even though they were going to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did not think that the Gentiles would receive the Holy Spirit, but their God is pouring out His Holy Spirit on all flesh as He always intended to do. And they are astonished. Why? Because it's His understanding. It's not ours. It's His rhyme, not ours. And why? Why does He get to do that? Because it's His dime, not ours. It's His dime, not ours. He is the one who paid the price. When... Luke crashes the Mazda, which he does regularly. (laughs) He never has. But when he crashes the Mazda, that's our car. And so I could say to Luke, I'm really upset by that, Luke. When Lockie crashes the Mazda, I wouldn't, Luke. You can crash it. You can crash it all you like. When Lockie crashes the Mazda, that's different. No, it's actually pretty much the same as Luke. When I crash the Mazda, (laughs) when I crash the Mazda, like... Uh, if someone gets upset with me for crashing the Mazda, Daz is the only person who has the riot because we are one. Anyone else who gets upset with me for crashing the Mazda? Okay, I'll give you a better example. When I was driving the bus, I drove round this corner for the first time, like round to go to the back, and I put GT stripes right up the side of the van. Now, that's my bad. It's not the buildings, I know you're surprised. The stationary building, it was not its fault. I should have seen it coming. Um, but, but that was like our van and so we paid for it and fixed it and so it's on my dime. I don't know, are you getting what I'm picking up what I'm putting down? Great, Craig, cool, okay. God, he said that there is peace with him through Jesus Christ. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So because He paid the price, because He paid everything, the way then He gets to work and give His Spirit and save and heal and do whatever He does is completely up to Him. That's why He gets to do it. The enemy from the dawn of time has always wanted us to question the way that God goes about things and question whether He is truly good. But in fact, God, having paid everything for us to be right with Him, He gets to do whatever He wants. He gets to go about this however He wants, whether it makes sense to us. So you might be thinking, well, Bron, that's fine to radically include everybody, but surely they need to change in order to be able to stay. And in every passage I read, it says those who follow, those who follow, those who follow. In the last midweek study, we're going to look at the the things that were put in place to make this the most inclusive stay invitation ever. But let me just touch on it today to say 
a personal story. I didn't know that my mum was going to be in the room <laughs> when I confessed this to you all. But um, I want to specifically talk, and you've heard probably snippets of this before, about God, the way that God changed my mouth and the way that I spoke. Uh, I, I grew up in church. I was a shocking liar. I was a shocking swearer. And I was a shocking gossiper. In year one, people, in year one, a little brethren girl said to me, Bron, don't you go to church? And I said, yeah. And she said, why do you swear so much? And that was year one. Now, I know a lot of you struggle with swearing. I did not. I did not struggle with swearing at all. I chose to swear because I wanted to fit in with people. I wanted to feel like one of the crowd, one of the crew. And so I chose to swear. Um, Now, I know this because I could switch it off as soon as I walked in the door at home. I um, switched it off as soon as I went to church. I accidentally did flip the bed at David Coleman once at church, but that was... He's like, we're in church, Bron. Like he knew the whole crossover world. I was, uh, so not only was I a liar, I was a hypocrite. And so, um, uh, sorry, a swearer, I was a hypocrite. I was also a liar. Uh, I got around lying by telling what I thought were just not the whole truth. And I figured that that was not lying. Um, again, I think it might've been year three or four and, and uh, maybe younger. Yeah, I think it was younger. I was the youngest in the family, had an older brother and older sister. And I used to steal money from dad's change drawer. Um, undies drawer, actually. It was an undies drawer with change in it, not a change drawer with undies in it. Um, <laughs> depends on your perspective. But I would um, take the change, and that was fine while there was plenty of change in it, but when it gets low, then you start to notice it. So one time I was crossing over mum in the hall. It was early morning, and uh, she said, Bron, someone's taking money out of dad's change drawer, undies drawer. And I said, oh, mum, I just can't believe Rick or Jill would do that. And in my mind... Not lying, just not just leaving out some details, and but that was my whole life. Uh, particularly as it related to money, I would lie about money. I used to um, take Mum's money, buy a loaf of bread, and then she'd say, "I'm not. I don't feel like I've got the same amount of money." And 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 so I'd round up everything that she'd bought and do the maths until it was only like three dollars missing, and I'd be like, "Oh, Mum." Yeah, anything could happen there when actually I had the change of the fifty bucks in my pocket. I was a shocking liar. Not only that, I would gossip again to fit in. I needed to feel interesting. I thought that I needed to, um, you know, have something interesting to say. So I would talk about things. Now, I um, became a Christian when I was 14 and all those behaviours stayed with me. When I was 21, we moved to Tamworth and I realised I had a fresh start in a fresh workplace of people who didn't know me. And I decided that's it. I'm not lying anymore. I mean, I'm not swearing anymore. That's it. I'm done. And so I didn't, so never wrestled with swearing since. I have let the odd word go, but again, like just a choice and stupid choice. And so sorry if you were in the vicinity when that happened. But I don't swear, like as I, not even in my head. Like, I, yeah, anyway, we don't need all the ins and outs. Enough, Bron. Um, okay. <laughs> have it a Nath moment. Um, okay. And so um, then um, in terms of lying, you know the story I've, I shared it a couple of weeks ago of when I had the tides in my glove box and Marlene, Pastor Marlene rang me and said, Bron, um, have you banked the tides? And I said, Oh, I was just on my way to do that right now as I rounded the roundabout and went, did a U-turn and rang her back and said, Marlene, I just lied to you. And I decided that any time I lie from now on, I'm ringing the person back and I'm telling them because I do not want to be a liar anymore. Then gossip, that was the next thing. And I felt really uninteresting for a long time because I, had, I felt like I had nothing interesting to say because I wouldn't talk about other people. Daz actually kicked this off in me because I'd gossip to him and he would just go silent and gossip's really boring if you're the only one doing it and you'd actually feel really judged even though he didn't say a word. 
And, um, and so I just would go, he would just go quiet. And so then when I'd sit with someone, a good friend, and I'd go to have the conversation that we'd always have of talk about someone else. And I just stopped and I would just sit there in silence and I felt boring. And I embraced the feeling of being boring because I wanted more to do what God wanted me to do with my mouth. Now, I reckon by that time process was all done. I'm 30. 16 years from when I truly gave my heart to Jesus. Many years since I got baptised. Many years since I was speaking in tongues. And, and, and it took all that time. Why am I telling you that big story so that you will reject me? No, um, I'm telling you that story because at no point... Did anyone say, I need you to stop coming to church, Bron? Because your lying's just, it's gone on too long. Now, I still was embraced. I still was loved. Um, at no point did anyone say, no, you've been given enough time to change. We need you to leave now. Uh, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. And so as it relates to the gospel of radical inclusion, are we going to include are we going to be like God in the book of Isaiah and say, yeah, everyone come back to God and bring whoever you can with you. Bring whoever you can with you. How does that make you feel on the inside? How does it make you feel? Will you bring whoever you can? In the 8.30 the other week, we had someone show up to church who I don't think had really been to church much before. And she came straight out the front and started leading worship. And, and, and let me tell you, it was awkward. If you, was anyone in that service? Did you feel the awkwardness? Now, in myself, I, I was like, we had a guest speaker. I was like, please leave. Like that's, that was my first reaction. Oh, please just go, just go. And then the Lord, Holy Spirit was like, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Oh man, Lord, sorry. The gospel of radical inclusion says whoever wants to come can come. And I'm going to embrace them if I'm to embrace the gospel of radical inclusion. Wherever we go, however uncomfortable it makes us feel, and that we're going to give time and space for that person to change, because surely the best place for them to change is in the midst of loving community where they're hearing the word of God and sitting under his teaching and feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship. Surely that's the best place for people to be. Now, it doesn't negate the fear of God. I want to make that disclaimer. It doesn't, you know, what a terrible thing the Bible says it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, absolutely. We're not talking about sin minimization or anything like that. We're just saying, will we radically include people to the point that Peter did, where it was so outside of his worldview, so outside of his train of thought and thinking that said, hey, come on in, come on in. Now, the interesting thing about this place that Peter is at Joppa is at the same place that Jonah was when he received his instruction to go and preach to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were people who had oppressed the Jewish people and God calls him to go and preach to them so that they might repent. And Jonah says, oh, hell no, I am going in the other direction to Tarshish. Peter, however, he says, where's this guy? Okay, I'm going to Caesarea and I'm going to start preaching to him. So my question for us today is which direction are you going to head? Are you going to head to Tarshish? Are you going to run away from God and His instruction to radically include all the people around you? Or are you going to run to them with the love of Christ and with the embrace, not, not, not literal, it could freak them out, unless you're me, then you can't help it. And, uh, and will you radically include the whosoever wills in your world? That is what happens in the book of Acts. And can I remind you that that is why we are here today.
Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of radical inclusion, we're going to baptise some people this morning. So um, I'm going to ask the team to come because we'll sing in just a moment. But uh, it's very exciting. Baptisms are the best. And we've got a few people getting baptised this morning. So if you are, this is a, we packed down the font this week. It's actually got a slow leak as well, so that's not so great. But um, but this is the last week that we've got the font. It goes to Gunnedah next week. And so if you've like been putting it off and putting it off and saying, oh, I don't, I don't know, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next week, today's the day. And um, just jump up and we've got modesty towels, we'll be fine and we'd love to baptise you this morning. So just come and join the group of people that are down here. Who is first? Sean? <laughs> Can you baptise again? <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know baptism, uh, it is a decision that you make when you are able to understand what you're doing. Um, we don't sprinkle babies. I'm still encouraging all mums, Sarah Bennell, when you have your baby. Oh, by the way, guys, Sarah and Luke are having another baby. <laughs> yes, common knowledge. <laughs> Um, that I would love to baptise it in the Greek Orthodox way, if you'll let me. Um, but be- until then, until someone will let me baptise in that way, we're going to go with biblical baptising, which is simply going into the waters, being fully immersed um, and coming out. And it's representative that you are dying to your old self in your own way, old way and own way and coming up and following Jesus. That's the point of baptism. And so these people have decided to do it um, because they know what they want to, how they want to live their life. So who's first? Reese Hadley, who's first? <laughs> this is Reese, am I right? Yes, Reese. Come on in, Reese. <laughs> You're right, sweetie. Oh, okay, Reese. I'm just going to ask you some questions, if that's okay. Why do you want to be baptised today? Because I want to belong to Jesus fully and I want to be in the right place with Him. That is awesome. So you're doing this as a symbol of the decision that you've already made. I really want to baptise you quickly because you're shivering. Um, okay, um, um, Reese, uh, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Yes. Do you want to follow Him all your days? Yes. And uh, do you, Are you looking forward to spending eternity with Him? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Get the towel, get the towel, get the towel. (laughs) So great. Awesome. Hads, Hadley, here we go. Hadley, why do you want to be baptised? Because I want to be right with God. Yeah, awesome. And have you decided that you're going to follow Him all your days? Yes. That's awesome. So you've already made the decision. You are right with God, but now you're showing everyone that decision. Is that right? Yes. Oh, just baptise me, Bron. Okay. Well, on the confession of your faith in Jesus Christ, we baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Girls, we'd love you to stick around. We're going to pray after we sing next. So we're going to um, pray for you guys. Um, Next person can come on in. Amanda, how wonderful.
Such good news. We are, um, the reason that we baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ our Lord is that that's actually, they're both instructions in the Bible. So we just do both. And uh, here's Amanda. Amanda, um, why do you want to be baptised? I want to be the person that God intended me to be. <laughs> Amen, that's awesome. We're standing with you as your church family and we believe in what God is doing in your life. Do you believe that He died for your sins? Absolutely. you believe that He rose again three days later? Yes. You want to follow Him all your days? I'll do my best. <laughs> and all the way into eternity? Yes. We're in the confession of your faith. Uh, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ our Lord, we now baptise you. going to pray for you too. I think we've got some last minuteers, do we? Awesome. Come on in. <laughs> you made it. You did it. <laughs> you nearly baptised yourself. <laughs> Shana, um, this is exciting. Why do you want to be baptised today? Uh, just to be the best person I can. Just ready to let go. <laughs> You want to follow Jesus? Yes. You want to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. That is such good news. Do you believe he died on the, on the cross for his sins and rose again three days later? Yes. Unreal. Well, on the confession of your faith, we baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ our Lord. Beautiful Lynn. was telling me uh, on the way to youth on Friday night that every week she said, maybe next week. So here you are, Lynn. That's wonderful. Um, Lynn, why do you want to be baptised? To be part of God's family. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And this, yeah, the Bible says that you're getting baptised into God's family. So uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again three days later? Yes. And have you decided to follow him and put your trust in him? Yes. Confession of your faith, Lynn, we baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's awesome. Well, anyone else, do you want to be baptised this morning? Great. Well, let's come to our feet. Let's sing one more time and we're going to be praying for these people after service. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.